0: football with you and a disappointing one once again as Iowa falls at the hands of Wisconsin 27-7 the final. Biz I think you said it very succinctly as you texted me as we're uh, getting ready for the show today. What the hell was that?
1: Uh, Sadly I don't know an answer to that Trent but that's it was uh you said disappointing that's putting it kindly. I I guess the only good thing you can say is at least you weren't there in person. I uh (laughs) Not not only was I there, but our seats ended up being we were in the second row. Which, if, if anybody tells you that sitting in the second row is a good idea, it's just not. We yeah. could only see about half the field, but uh, it was uh, we were down low and got the up, up close and personal uh, view of, of that debacle. So. You know, as an Iowa fan, Trent, I think we both know, and, and any true Iowa fans know that every Iowa season is going to have its its ups and downs, and, and going to have its twists in the road. But uh, not sure if I can ever remember the roller coaster getting quite as uh quite as violent as it has over the last month. We, we went from the the highest of the highs, being being number two and talking about uh, can this team uh, make the playoff to uh, now wondering, can they win another game this year? And uh, <laughs> like I said, there's always highs and lows in Iowa football, but this has uh, taken it to the extreme over the last few weeks.
0: You know, there's so many frustrating elements to get into and talk about here. I know quarterback is among them, offensive line, offensive play calling, and we'll get to all of that, but you're exactly right. Just the roller coaster that it is. You think back to you know, some of the great moments at Iowa, some of the great teams of the Ferrance era, but there was always disappointment along with it from – Recently, 2015, that hard-fought game against Michigan State, and then the sour taste that you have, even as fun as it was to go to the Rose Bowl, the actual game experience was a little bit different with Christian McCaffrey and company. 2002, perfect in the regular season except for loss against Iowa State. 2004, down in Tempe, just getting absolutely obliterated in that game before they come back, run off seven straight, and win their last Big Ten title. That's right, 17 years ago the last time that happened. So even in the greatest moments of certainly our memories, even going back to 1985, there's also some negatives that go along with every one of those seasons.
1: Well, the trade-off for you know, for being an Iowa fan and having to deal with those, uh, those rough moments um, is that generally as an Iowa fan, there's always hope. You're always, always competitive. And generally, we're pretty much always in the game in the fourth quarter. And that's what made saturday so depressing and so disappointing is for the first time in a long time there was a regular season iowa game where it just felt hopeless i mean that game was over at halftime i I know we technically made it a game a little bit in the third quarter but did anybody really think we had any chance of coming back in the second half i know i didn't Uh, and you know it just felt hopeless which that's that's something you just don't have as an iowa fan i mean usually Mm -hmm. Like I said, the trade-off for for having the type of team we have is that we're you know we're never going to blow people out of the water. We're never going to be absolutely dominant, but we're usually always competitive. And that just wasn't the case on Saturday. I mean, that first half we were <laughs> that First half was as ugly of a half as you can get as a, as a hawk fan. It was embarrassing. I mean, just we couldn't get out of our own way, and uh, you know that just doesn't happen very often. So. You know the thing I noticed, being there in person and being down close, it looked like a team, especially on the offensive side, that had just completely lost its confidence. I mean, it just the body language of that offense just across the board. The offensive line, Petrus, even Goodson, and especially Tyrone Tracy, the body language was just terrible. I mean, just watching them walk back to the huddle and you know watching them, uh, you know, just in between plays. Uh, I could have told you five minutes into that game we were in trouble. We just didn't have a lot of... what wasn't one, one great body language from the beginning. And uh, obviously once things began to snowball, it got ugly quickly.
0: So the first half you mentioned, one first down came late in the half. 1-7 on third downs, negative 13 yards rushing, 17 total yards in the game, five punts, a penalty, and three fumbles lost. And a frustrating element to me is those turnovers, because without them, could this have been a 10-7 game in the fourth quarter and at least you have a chance? I was not good enough. They don't have to be perfect, but they just can't do that. They can't turn it over. Ivory Kelly Martin, why is he in the game there? He's had fumbling issues all season long. Why is Max Cooper a guy that hasn't touched a punt in a game in, what, three years? Why is he the guy that is back there trying to return a punt with Jones? out? Just time after time after time, it's infuriating that you have guys in this spot that for all intents and purposes shouldn't be out there in a game that you seemingly have to win to win the division.
1: Well, and you know, everybody knows about the big mistakes, the, the, the obvious fumbles and, and the terrible offensive line play, but just little things. First drive of the game, Spencer Petras throws an absolute dime on third and seven to probably our, our best receiver, mm-hmm. Laporta. And he just drops it. I mean, a perfect pass, puts it right in the money, drops it, series over. You know, second possession, we get to third and three, we run a, a perfectly planned play on a, on a quick slant to, to Goodson and can't hit a simple five-yard slant. I mean, Wisconsin was going to give it to us. They didn't even defend it. And we just – just basic things like that. I mean, we talk about it all the time. The margin for error for Iowa football is so small. You know, that, game, that game's different if, if we just come out early and make the plays they were willing to give to us. I mean – they're similar to us. They're, they're going to give you some yards from time to time, and, and make you earn it. But if they're going to give you the yards, you got to take them. And we can't even do that right now. It's, you know, Trent. When, you know, we talk about how brutal Saturday was. You know, when you ask the the big picture question of how brutal was it, who do you got to go to?
0: Snap boy, he's got the information.
1: He does. So I asked him two simple questions. One, when was the last time Iowa scored seven points or less? In back-to-back games, Ooh. and the other related question: When was the last time we lost back-to-back games by 17 or more points? So, uh, you ready? You ready for the sad answers?
0: Sad answers. So you said first the the first part of the question there. Last time they scored seven or less in back-to-back games, my guess would have to be you'd have to go back to the early Fry or uh, Ferentz era. I'd probably have to go back to '99. Am I right? You.
1: Yep, you hit the nail on the head. It was Ferentz's fourth and fifth games. As an Iowa coach, first Big Ten games, if you remember, uh, forty-nine to three at Michigan State, and, and I'm not joking when I say that game could have been a hundred to three if yeah. uh, Nick Saban didn't decide to be nice to us. We watched and that we, game
0: at the Vine, and we did, yeah. that was the infamous hot rod from our uh, roommate Boner. That was when that, it came out that day.
1: That is correct. Good, good memory. So uh, that was more enjoyable than the game itself. Yes, it so Forty-nine was. to three. Then turned around and lost thirty-one to seven to Penn State. So, uh, yeah, you got to go back to to the very beginning, to the fourth and fifth games of the Ferrance era, to see inept offense to that level. It's been twenty-two years since we've uh, we've looked this bad on the offensive side in back-to-back games. So. Hey, Hot Rod,
0: another Beam and Coke,
1: <laughs> and, and, and then about six more after that. So. <laughs>
0: Oh uh, what a day! What a day! All right, so let's go to the second part of the question.
1: Seventeen plus, so that that's happened four times, or this was the fourth time it's happened. With the first time being the exact the the, the two games we just talked about mm-hmm. it happened in '99, happened again in 2000, and then the most recent time it happened was 2017, where we lost Indiana or 2007. Sorry, to the 2007 season, which was, was a a debacle of a year we ended the year losing to western michigan but middle of the year we lose 38 to 20 to indiana and again penn state 27 to 7 so you got to go back 14 years to have back-to-back games where we got our butts kicked as bad as we did the last two weeks so uh like i said before usually as an iowa fan there's always hope so i think that's that's kind of the biggest concern right now it feels kind of hopeless right now so we'll We'll, we'll wait a while, Trent. We'll continue to mope for a little while. But at the end here, we will talk about some hope and, and try to try to end on a high note. But that's the stat boy info on, on just how bad it was the last couple of weeks for the Hawks, and especially this last
0: week. It was ugly, and there's no two ways about it. It was as bad as it can be. And you mentioned that hopeless feeling that you just don't get that often. And I was hopeless in the Purdue game. Even as he had the touchback, as the guy was reaching out, oh, here they go. Even before the three and out happened right afterwards, it just, you never felt confident. The biggest reason is because you don't have an offensive line. You just don't have an offensive line that can block at a high enough level to even give you a chance. That coupled with maybe, and I'm not being hyperbolic, the least athletic starting quarterback in college football, a recipe for success is certainly not there when you put those two together. Well,
1: and the offensive line, it's really kind of baffling. I mean, I think. We kind of think, well, the offensive line has just been terrible all year, but, but it really hasn't. You go back to you know, the first five games, it wasn't a great offensive line, but it was certainly improving. Anybody that watched that Maryland game had to have come away thinking, man, that's an offensive line that's starting to click. Mm-hmm. We ran all over Maryland, and we had great pass protection all game long. I mean, it was, that was an offensive line clinic versus Maryland. We scored a nine straight possessions, and that wasn't that long ago, Trent. That was you know a month ago. So, you know, it, that gives me at least some hope that we can fix this. That it hasn't been eight games of just absolute atrocious offensive line play. It's been three games of, of progressively worse offensive line. It went from shaky at Penn State to bad versus Purdue to embarrassingly bad versus Wisconsin. So, I don't know what the answer is. They're not going to get older all of a sudden. They're a young line. They're they're not great by any means, but uh, they've done it before. I mean, they they you know especially early in the year, pass protection was actually a strength. I thought you know against Iowa State, against Maryland, games like that, against Indiana, we we held up pretty good in pass protection. And now right now we're a, we're a mess. And so. Hopefully that means it's just a a confidence thing and not a a, a competence thing. They're they're capable of doing it. They're just not real confident right
0: now. Not at all. You mentioned that pass protection, and it was bad. Any way you slice it, the offensive line struggled in a big-time way. But something I have never seen before with Pro Football Focus and their numbers, Nick DeYoung, .02. Dean Worm, 0.0. It's impossible to do something like that. I've never seen it before in pass protection that was how he graded out just absolutely hideous
1: i don't i don't pretend to know how they do their grades but 0.0, 0 I mean, does that mean he, he literally whiffed on, on every one i mean I, yeah. I feel like if he at least made contact <laughs> and stopped somebody from running directly through him don't they have to give him at least a point
0: I mean, it should be something
1: <laughs> so yeah and i see it was nine plays i mean i i assume that means he didn't do his job on any of the nine plays mm-hmm. which Again, I mean, just watching him and being up close a couple of times, you could just tell he, he, there was a deer in the headlights look and feel to him from moment one of that game, and I felt bad for him. I mean, it was just it, it, uh, he shouldn't have played nine plays. I mean, once he once he gave up the strip sack, there was no reason for him to play again the rest of the game. And we're stubborn; we keep rotating, and you know, to me that's my number one suggestion is pick pick five offensive linemen and just move forward with them at this point. Yeah. Is it going to be the solution? No, but uh, the rotation isn't working, and it's not going to work. Pick five and say, here's my here's our group going forward, and, and sink or swim with them at this point.
0: I hate to bring up 1999 because it was, A, a long time ago, and B, it was not a very fun year, but Think back of how they moved the football that year. You know, I, I in fact, I went back and watched some highlights, and yes, their highlights are the best plays, and it doesn't tell the whole story. But think about how many bubble screens they ran that year. Think of how many times they went with quick hitters with Liddell Betts, knowing that they weren't going to be able to sustain drives for very long and blocks for very long. They had Bruce Nelson out there playing left tack 260 pounds before he moved inside and gained 40 pounds and moved to center. You, know, you go through and you look at the way that they were able to do it They at least tried some things. Are they going to try anything? Are they just going to say, this is what we are and we can't adapt? We can't change. This is what our identity is. That's another frustrating aspect about that. Do something. Try something instead of just beating your head against the wall continually and hoping it's going to be different.
1: I think the biggest problem, Trent, and you just kind of hit on it, um, back in 1999, the coaching staff knew we were bad. And they knew we had to be creative to, to get the job done. I think the problem is right now I think this coaching staff just misevaluated the offensive line and probably misevaluated the offense in general. I think they thought we were going to be a much better offensive team than this. I think they thought Spencer Peters was going to be better, that they thought our wide receivers were going to be better, they certainly thought our blocking was going to be better. Um, you know, And I think that's part of the reason they're doing this. Is I truly think, you know, you hear parents talk about it in post game. You know, the offensive line's close, and, and what they see on tape is that you know it's it's not that far away. And you know, I, I think they just misevaluated this offense. I, I think they really thought this was going to be an extension of what we saw the last six games last year, which was a emerging offense that was getting better and not worse. And, and right now, clearly, it, it's uh, it's regressing would be a nice term for them.
0: Yes, you are right on there. We go from the struggles of the offensive line to the offensive coordinator. Putting this all together, and do you have a mea culpa here? I was right. Brian Ference, not the guy for the job.
1: Well, you know, Trent, I, I think my comment to you was it's time for me to wave the white flag. I've, I've always been, a, I don't know if I'd say an apologist, but I've always looked on the bright side, at least, of Brian Ferentz. And, you know, I, I think... At this point, I'm probably the last one to jump off the bandwagon, but I'm ready to do it, and I think you saw that kind of across the board this week. If you if you read any of the the, the big articles from you know Chad Leistikow or Scott Docterman or, or especially Mike Colossi, if you read Mike Colossus' article, I mean it's a really good article because basically it's just a comparison of where Wisconsin's at with a. 38, 39 year old defensive coordinator compared to where we're at with a 38, 39 year old offensive coordinator, both in their fifth year in the program. And when you compare it, it's night and day difference. And, you know, it's it, like I said, I'm probably the last one on the bandwagon, but I, I've jumped off officially at this point also. I'm just, there's not much you can say. In his favor at this point. I, I hope he hope he figures it out in the next four weeks. But uh, you know what we saw after a bye week and, and the c- complete refusal to change anything or to adapt during the game is just it's it's depressing. I mean, it's just so so. Yeah, there's me a culpa, Trent. I'm I'm off the bandwagon as well. I hope I hope uh, I hope they find a way to fix it. But uh, long term, I don't think this is the solution. Yeah,
0: it feels that direction, and what can change, what can evolve? Is it going to be something where it's going to take Kirk's retirement? We will see on that, because I'm going to guess the conversation with Brian Ference's real boss, because he doesn't answer to dad, probably not a whole lot to that conversation. It's not. I don't see Gary Barta going into Kirk's office and say, hey, I'm going to fire your son now.
1: But You know my opinions on his real boss. Uh, Gary Barta isn't going to say or do anything, so... uh the only way this—the only way this ends—is if some NFL team decides, hey, we wouldn't mind having Brian Ferentz back and, and doing something on the NFL level, and everybody just kind of mutually agrees that that's the the best option. That, I don't think he's getting fired, but I do see potentially there being a, a mutual parting of the ways, and he goes back to goes back to somewhere in the NFL because I, I'd be shocked if someone in the NFL wouldn't take him. Are they going to take him as an offensive coordinator? Yeah. Absolutely not, but. You know the NFL like the NFL likes to uh bring back uh, old names and old faces and the Ferentz name uh, carries a lot of respect in the NFL so uh, to me that's the best case scenario is, is is end of the year everybody just kind of says oh let, let's let's mutually agree to part ways and, and he ends out being the uh you know offensive line coach for the Houston Texans
0: yeah I, I can buy that and ultimately probably a good thing for everybody involved biz. The offensive line struggles, and we finish up here when we're talking about all these offensive issues with the quarterback. Spencer Petris, it's not all on him. He is down on the list of candidates that are a problem. But with this offensive line, with a backup that I don't think is very good in Padilla, but at least he can move around a little bit, and he looks like he's about 5'7 out there. He uh, maybe gives them a better chance. It's not like they use the strengths of Spencer Petrus and that strong arm. Because hey, they can't get it down the field, and if they do, is the protection going to be there? Probably not. Is it time at the very least? How short is is the leash? Let's go that direction. How short is it this weekend if Iowa struggles in the first half against Northwestern?
1: Uh, to me, if if the gap between Padilla and Petrus was close right now, is the perfect opportunity to give him a shot. Just because you can, you can use the excuse that Petrus was banged up at the mm-hmm. end of the game. He was. I mean. It, when he got crunched and and went out, it was right in front of us and and he really got crunched. So if if there was ever an opportunity to say, let's, let's give Padilla a shot, this is it. But, um, you know, (laughs) I don't think it's going to happen. And honestly, I'm not sure it should happen. I I don't think Padilla is the answer. I think the only benefit you have is that he can move the pocket a little bit and he can scramble and extend plays. But, you know, I don't think he's again. Petrus is about number six on our list of problems right now, which says a lot because he's not had a good year. But he's you know, he, he he's way down the list when it comes to why we're losing games right now. So it wouldn't break my heart to see Padilla give it a shot, but I also I don't think it's going to happen. So well, we'll see. I don't see them benching in mid game, let's put it that way. I think either Padilla comes in and they use the excuse that Petrus is banged up, or they, they ride Petrus out and see what happens.
0: All right, from quarterback, let's go to this. Best case, worst case scenarios, and uh, you got some little info here. Fill us in, Biz, what you got.
1: I do. And again, a lot of this comes from Statboy, who, uh, you know, I come up with the ideas. He fills in the gaps, which uh, he really filled him in well here. So you know, what my thought process was, Trent, you know, Iowa has its ups and downs. And when you look at it, there are two years that are remarkably similar to this year as far as great start, brutal middle, and then what happens next. So let's start with the worst case scenario, Trent, because we've obviously been, been overwhelmingly negative for 20 minutes. Yep. So let's let's stay negative for a few more minutes, but then we'll, we'll change years and start talking positive. So, Worst case scenario, and I'm talking Kirk Ferentz years only. Can you guess which year I picked as kind of the the worst case scenario for what could happen down the stretch here?
0: Is it uh, that 2007 season that you mentioned?
1: You're close, but no, it's actually the year before, the 2006 oh, yeah. year.
0: Didn't they like lose four straight?
1: 2007 was just a bad football team. There was there was not many positives. In 2007, 2006. If you remember, that was a team that had tons of positives and you know. That's a year. you got Drew Tate's senior year. You've got a team that you know, early in the year hosts game day, loses to, to number one Ohio State, but then turns around and destroys Purdue by 30 the next week. So midway through the year, you're sitting at 5-1, and one, only loss is to a, a dominant number one team. You're ranked 14th in the nation, and you've got good vibes all around. And then, Do you remember what happened to that team down the stretch? Yeah, I
0: think four straight, right? I, I mentioned that right at the top. I think four straight losses at the end of the year.
1: Well, they lost, they lost five straight in the Big Ten. Their okay. only win, after being 5-1, their only win was a non-conference mid-season matchup against Northern Illinois. Mm-hmm. But if you remember, 5-1, we go to Indiana. Um, it was our good friend Chris Melton's wedding. <laughs> and it was, uh, I remember watching that uh, while sneaking in and out of the way to watch it. And we, we, we blew it. We lost 31-28. There was a certain wide receiver that destroyed us. You remember who that was? James Hardy. Yeah, it was, this is David Bell before David Bell. Uh, James Hardy uh, destroyed us. Uh, we throw a pick late in the game, lose 31-28, and from that point the wheels just just fall off. Like I said, lose the last five Big Ten games, including the low point of the year, we lose 21-7 to at home to a 3-6 and Northwestern team. So kind of similar to what we're going into this week. It was kind of the make-or-break part of the year, and we, we definitely broke. And that was after that Northwestern game there was a very famous Kirk Ferentz quote. you remember it at all? No. So I'll read it to you. We played like fat cats. Uh-huh. I thought we looked like fat cats and they looked like a hungry team. So it was it was The
0: Fat Cats ag- game.
1: Yep, it was about as angry as you'll ever see Kirk Ferentz. And it was yeah, you know, it was one of the low points I think of, of Iowa football for Kirk Ferentz where we it was a pretty swift drop off from a team that had won the Big Ten title a year and a half to a team that was ended the year six and seven and lost their last five bowl last five Big Ten games and the bowl game. So worst case scenario is Trent is we're looking at a bunch of fat cats that uh, go into Northwestern, get stomped, and then it only gets worse from there. So so there's your worst case scenario. Let's uh, cross our fingers and hope that doesn't happen.
0: Let's get some positivity. What do you got?
1: Best case scenario, Trent. You don't have to go back too far. There's a season in the relatively near past here that's very, very, very similar. To what,
0: 2016?
1: No, even earlier, even more recent than that. What is it? 2019. So two years ago, you kind of forget, but let's look at that team and kind of break them down a little bit. That team started Mm 4-0. Again, moved up to number 14, same as 2006 and then started the Big Ten season at the big house. And you remember what happened the next two games?
0: After the, what, after the Michigan game?
1: No, the Michigan game and then the game after. Just the combined effort of those two games. Well, I just
0: remember the offensive line being brutal in the Michigan game. I mean, as bad as it's ever been, and probably not much better after that.
1: Correct. So we went at Michigan and then at home versus Penn State. This sounds unbelievably similar to what just happened the last two weeks. In two weeks, offensive line gives up 10 sacks. Offense puts up a total of 15 points, and we get whipped twice. This was the actual quote from the paper that, that Statboy sent me. A season that seemed to contain such great promise just a couple weeks ago has suddenly become the middle of a donut offensively. <laughs> so, uh, sound a little similar to what we're experiencing right now. Absolutely. But here's the pos- positive, positive, best case scenario here. What did that team do after those two losses
0: played really well and beat USC in a bowl game.
1: Yep. They turned it around. They won six of seven. They were, uh,
0: six inches away
1: from t- tying Wisconsin and-, and potentially going seven out of seven ended the year scoring 49 points and finished back in the top 15. So, uh, there's your best-case scenario is keep fighting. You know, that team was, was not great the next couple of weeks after that, but they put it together. Ironically, again, you talk about a Northwestern game where in 2019, you remember Northwestern, we went there and uh, won a brutally ugly 20 to nothing game where uh, the coaching staff just basically determined we're, we won't do anything offensively, but we know Northwestern can't do anything offensively, and we'll just uh, – bleed the death out of that game, which I could see them easily doing uh, this Saturday as well. So there's your best-case scenario, and you don't have to look back too far. Two years ago, this team was in the same exact situation. Brutal offense, brutal offensive line, everyone angry at the offensive coordinator, and we found a way to fix it. So uh, let's just uh, do that again.
0: Do that again. I'm in. I am absolutely in for that. Let's finish this season on a strong note. So why should we be hopeful? Is it just because Ferrance has done it before? Is it as simple as that?
1: It is, Trent. And, and you know, we talked about hope earlier, and that's hopeless right now. But all you got to do is look at what this staff's done each of the last four years, and, and I think we can end the podcast with some uh, with some hope, Trent. Because go back, this staff has been together with, with Brian Ferrance, offensive coordinator, and. You know, the changes we made for, for this is the fifth year. Each of the four years, there was some clear adversity that this team faced every single year, and they bounced back every year. 2017, we were struggling, but we ended the year with a 56-14 to beatdown against Nebraska and then a bowl victory. 2018, we lose three in a row in the middle of the year, including a couple brutal losses. Um, the Penn State won in that home versus Northwestern. Again, end the year winning three straight and clean a bowl game. 2019, we just discussed it. Two brutal losses in the middle, bounce back, win six out of seven. And then obviously last year you start 0-2 and you come back and win six in a row. So you want to talk about hope, Trent. I, I, this staff has shown when, when, when things are down and things look hopeless, they have been able to rally the troops and, and the team hasn't quit. So they've done it four straight years. Uh, let's let's believe and hope it's going to happen at fifth straight here
0: hope that's what we have hope and a change will come with that all right biz let's uh go to our picks this week as i went three and oh i'm right back in it just a half game back as we make our way into november getting hot at the right time biz
1: i did not go three and oh but I, I did hit my my best bet again i've been good at those and terrible at everything else
0: no bonus picks for your best bet though I also hit mine. Well, of course I did. I went 3 and 0. So here we go. Biz and we kick things off as we do each and every week with the Iowa game. Hawkeyes currently a 12-point favorite in the game. The over under sits at 40 and a half and I'm going to go with that hope and that optimism. Northwestern stinks. I get it. Bad matchup. We've seen it before. This offense are going back to another quarterback change. They can't do a whole lot. Iowa still has a really good defense. A really good defense. I'm going to lay the points here. Iowa finds a way. It'll probably be much like that game that you mentioned a couple years back, 20 nothing. But give me the Hawks. I'll lay the 12.
1: Well, we'll flip-flop from last week. I took the Hawks and you took the under last week, so I'll take the under this week. For, for the reasons we just talked about, I, I think this coaching staff, they don't care about style points. They care about coming out of Evanston with a win. And I think they, they know we can lean on our defense, and as long as we don't go minus three in the turnover area for the third straight week, we're going to beat Northwestern. So I think they're going to be ultra conservative. They're going to try to establish the running game. They're not going to do, I mean, it's not going to be a game where anyone's going to be real excited about the game plan, but I can see it being similar to what happened in 2019. It could be 20 to nothing again. So give me under 40 and a half and an ugly victory.
0: Under 40-and-a-half there is the pick from Biz. We go to the national game of the week, and in fact, the only game this week involving two teams ranked in the top 25. How's this happen in November? Absolutely hideous, but here we are. It's Auburn, Bo Nix going to Texas AM. The Aggies favored by four and i am going over, Biz. I've uh, started to play around a little bit more with the totals as you like to do from time to time. I'm going to go over here. Bo Nix is playing better a&M defense is solid, but not great by any means. Forty-nine and a half, the number. I'll go over in AM auburn
1: Give me a and I don't feel confident about it, but give me AM getting four and getting four-and-a-half. I mean, the SEC is just brutal, and you look at Auburn's schedule. They played LSU, Georgia, Arkansas, and Old Miss, and at some point you just got to wear down a little bit. A&M is, is coming off a bye week. They're at home. They got all the momentum in the world after winning three in a row, so Give me A&M 4.5, but it's not one that I that I love by any means.
0: And that's the side that I would lead on as well. We finish up with our best bet of the week. The Horned Frogs get it done. Well, maybe not get it done in terms of a win. Big rivalry matchup for TCU, though, against Baylor. They're getting six points. It's at home. Gary Patterson's out. They asked him to stay. He told everybody to go blank themselves. They asked him to stay through the end of the season. I think they win one for the Gipper, even as he's not there TCU plus the six an emotional game.
1: Well, I'm going back to the well with uh, Arkansas Alley and the uh, the Woo Pig Sueys. Huh. those years, I don't think I've ever gotten one wrong when I've taken Arkansas as my best bet of the week. Uh, and this is one. They're playing Mississippi State. We've talked about before, trying to figure out Mike Leach's teams <laughs> is, is almost impossible. They look great last week. They're riding high. That's usually when you uh, can count on Mike Leach to uh, have a head-scratcher. And so I think this is going to be one of those just complete butt-whoopings. Same thing I talked about A&M, Arkansas is coming off playing Arkansas Pine Bluff and then a bye week. So they're rested. Mississippi State's going ones a grind of a schedule right now. And uh, for the same reason, I think Arkansas will just decide we're going to pile up 400 yards rushing and, and put a whooping on them. So uh, woo pig suey and uh, shout-out to Arkansas Alley with this pick.
0: Razorbacks, woo pig suey, that is where we go. Our picks this week, Biz on the under Iowa Northwestern, Texas A&M, and Arkansas with his SEC love. I got Iowa lay in the 12, AM Auburn over, and TCU plus the 6. Our picks here. And Biz, uh, well, I don't think you're coming to Des Moines on Thursday, but got a little special episode of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast coming up on Thursday as I'm going to be out at Wellman's And Circus Sports, who, Biz, uh, I know I've told you about and all of our gambling degenerates out there, was out there in July, got to see the new casino that's down on Fremont Street. Certainly looks out of place. Uh, A lot classier than anything down there. But they're here in the state of Iowa now with their app. Best odds you're going to find anywhere is through them. If you like betting golf, if you just like playing parlays, teasers, the best odds come through Circus Sports. I'll be out there for their big launch party on Thursday night, doing a live podcast. So for listeners out there, stop on by. If you haven't downloaded the app, though, I'll tell you, wait till you get there. It might be something a little special hanging out for you on Thursday evening. 7 o'clock, I'll be doing the live podcast. You going to come to town?
1: Well, if, if these guys want to pay me to come to town, I'll, I'll do about anything, Trent. I'm, I've i got no uh, no pride. If they, if they want to pay me to be there, I'll be there.
0: So Yeah, that'd come out of my bottom line. I don't know if that's going to be happening, Biz.
1: But then they'd have to hire someone to coach an all-important 6th grade girls basketball Uh league game on Thursday night. So, uh, I don't know. Unless unless I can coach remotely.
0: Yes, (laughs) I'm sure you could. Technology has advanced very, very far. And you don't have to worry. I mean, I've heard great things about you. You beat some big-time names over there in Eastern Iowa. Some of the coaches you've gone head-to-head with.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, there's some interesting folks over here. There's youth sports is an interesting, interesting thing. You get some, uh, you know. I, I pride myself on. It. I've never gotten technical. And I probably just uh, probably just jinxed it by saying that. But uh, pe- people that know me know that I'm, uh, I'm not afraid to share my opinions. But I, I'm proud to say I, I generally, for the most part, uh, keep calm and collected as a, as a, as a youth coach. I, uh, you know, it's some some of the some of the people that or over on the side of the state, definitely do not do that. So it's a a unique group, let's put it that
0: way. That's a good way to put it, Biz. All right, we got Business Beat coming up here in just a moment. Again, that's Thursday night at Wellman's in West Des Moines. Stop on out, have a beer, and uh, maybe a little bit more on us. What's that? 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock, Wellman's, is where that will be happening. Also, Biz, I don't know if this is part of Business Beat, but we were having fun last night texting about the craziness that is this Texas assistant coach's girlfriend that's a stripper, the monkey at a Halloween party. You're a lawyer. As a lawyer, would you tell your client to videotape the uh, the cage of the monkey and put it up on social media? Probably not the best one from... What was her name? What's her stripper name? Uh,
1: Pole Assassin, I believe, wasn't it? Pole
0: just If you haven't seen the story, folks, it just put a, put a Google search in. It is so many layers of incredibleness, college football, it always delivers.
1: Well, and the best thing about it is if you read the, the comments section to, <laughs> to like the, the initial tweet explaining what happened, the comments are just pure gold. I mean, for the most part, I'm somebody that, that tries to avoid reading the comments anywhere on Twitter because usually it's just a cesspool of, of anger and negativity. But, man, there are some funny, funny comments talking about uh, – the whole situation. So I, I kind of went down the wormhole of reading, reading all of them. And, and there's some, you know, the, the whole situation. Uh, you know, I, again, it makes you thankful kind of for what Iowa has. I'm, I'm very, very, very confident that uh, LeVar Woods, a, does not own a monkey, and B, um, would not get in anywhere near this type of a situation. So uh, it's, yeah, yeah. again. There's things about Iowa you can be frustrated about, but I'm confident that our, our coaching staff will never bear embarrass us in, in that uh, in that way.
0: All right, with that biz, uh, what a story! College football. Let's get out of here. It's time for business beat. Hey kids, gather around for business beat of the day. Okay, here's business beat of the day. <laughs>
1: Well, business beat was not about the stripper monkey trend. It's actually about another thing you, you brought up earlier, and that's the uh, the unceremonious uh, departure or whatever you want to call it of Gary Patterson. You know, the reason it's business beat is I think everybody probably knows that behind Kurt Ferentz, Gary Patterson was next in line as far as college football seniority, and you know, it just gets you thinking. You talk about Gary Patterson, you talk about Frank Beamer, and you talk about even um, Stoops, you know, it is really, really, really hard to stay at the same place right now in college football for, you know, 10 years, much less 20 or 23 like Kirk has done now. And it just gets you thinking, I hope and cross my fingers and hope that somehow, some way, Kirk can find a way to right the ship smart enough to at some point, doesn't have to be this year, but at some point in the near future, go out on your own terms. Um, we just saw Gary Patterson six weeks ago. He was 2-0, and and now not only was he was he removed, but I think everybody probably agreed it was probably the right decision for him to be removed. Right. And, you know, we've had the ups and downs in Iowa football, but there's been a lot more ups than downs with Kirk Ferentz, and, and I hope, hope, hope that he can find a way to get a few more ups and then walk out on a high note. I, I just don't want it to end the way it did with, with some of the other uh, legends of football. So uh, let's hope what happened to Gary Patterson is not going to happen to Kirk Ferentz at some point in the next few years. So right the ship and then uh, walk away into the sunset.
0: Well said, Biz. We're all hoping for that. Iowa back on the field again on Saturday evening, 6 o'clock kickoff in Northwestern. And uh, we'll see you over in Iowa City on the 13th with the Gophers. We'll preview that one next week. we got some basketball the exhibition season starts on Friday night. Regular season then starts a week from today, next Tuesday, and a 9 o'clock tip-off against Longwood. Looking forward to that. Biz, we'll talk a little hoops next week and, of course, recap the Northwestern game. We'll do it then.
1: All right, go Hawks.